Yeah, so I uh, I do care a lot about this topic of spiritual formation, and I'm a little curious what you guys think about the meaning of the term. I, I, I feel like it's kind of like the E word, where like you don't, everybody talks about it differently, you know, whether you were being evangelicalism. I hear different ideas about that or Christianity, whatever it is. And my guess is spiritual formation at your tables was like kind of a broad topic that feels broad, right? Yeah. Any like just resounding definitions that you guys came up with? Anybody have some just great confidence? <laughs> That's fair and, and appropriate. Um, I, I think this is the reason for that is twofold. One is it is a broad idea. It's two words put together. And the problem with words, of course, is they're always just um, images pointing to something else. They're metaphors. All words are metaphors that mean something else. And, and so we struggle with their meanings. Um, that being said, uh, I care about this topic because as a church planner, I realized that I hadn't given appropriate attention to the the intricacy of my life with Jesus. I was really good at focusing on what I believed about Jesus, but not very good about experiencing an integrated life with Christ. And that led to all sorts of challenges for myself. And and I think for a lot of us, we know this. Uh, most of us plant churches and and plant ministries with people that are in their what we would call in the critical journey stage three of their walks with Jesus. And stage three is a very impressive, well thought out, high capacity tank-like figure. The problem is that person hasn't yet experienced failure or experienced suffering. They haven't experienced the cross, right? And so they end up experiencing that by way of just being dragged through ministry. And, and then on the other side, it's, it's, it can be trouble without good uh, family dynamics, if you will. And so, so this topic is really important uh, for me. But I guess I should back up. My um, starting point I uh, was in a Pentecostal movement church, uh, Open Bible, which is in, like northwest in Iowa. This was with my parents, um, and as I grew up, I then in, was introduced to the Mennonite community, and then I was a part of a Calvinist community, and, and on and on. I feel like I've like a NASCAR driver with a sticker for every tribe, and I'm really okay with that, because what I found is I look back at my experience with Jesus is that he was present in each of these traditions, and learning how to celebrate Jesus in each tradition has served me uh, to sit at the table with all of us, and that's why I just affirm the, this gathering space for that reason, that regardless of where we come from, we come with Jesus, and he's bringing us together, and so I hope that that um, comes out of what you're hearing from me. That being said, you might hear from me, because I am a Mennonite, some language or ways of thinking about things that might feel a little off or jarring for you, and that's okay. That's part of your spiritual formation. It's part of the process, right? It just as when people come into your communities and they've got all sorts of questions, and we find ourselves going, that's an odd question, and it sets us off, because if we're being honest, usually we haven't asked those questions ourselves. Or... Um, we're not sure why they're asking the question. And so it creates all sorts of um, challenges. Um, but on spiritual formation specifically, I guess what I would like to sort of lead with is this idea that most pastors and leaders within the Christian movement approach this topic as if it's something that, uh, it's like a ship that sailed and they're either not on it or it's a ship that sailed and they only think they're the ones on it and no one else is. And what I would say to that is that spiritual formation is, is a ship that we're all on. Every human being is being spiritually formed, Christian or non-Christian. We are all 
participating in this idea of spiritual formation because spiritual formation is simply the idea that we are being formed. Something is forming you. And within Jesus' tradition, what we're saying is that our spiritual formation is in Christ and around the person of Christ, the nature of Christ, and of course the teachings of him um, from start to finish. And I, I think we know that. So we're all on it. Um, and, and, and so I, wanna, I want us to get that. But the other piece I think that we challenge is that we think spiritual formation is largely categorized in what we believe, our doxa. And for me, in my journey as I started, I got really caught up in what is it that I believe in? What is the right doctrine? What is the right way of thinking about things? And that's a good starting point, right? We have like discipleship classes that start with what do you believe in for a reason? But what I found is as I pressed into this idea of having right beliefs, is that I came to a place in my journey where I felt like something was missing, that this information was not producing the kind of life I felt like the scriptures were testifying to. And that might be a problem with what I believe in. I'll give it, I'm humble enough to say that. But as I went to college, did the seminary thing, met with pastors, and it's like, no, I, f I feel like I'm fairly in the lane of orthodoxy. I'm, I'm learning about Jesus, but something was missing. And I found myself being drawn to this idea of not just what I believe in, but this idea of action and doing. And this is sort of our second stages, right? Where we move from a right belief to right action, a right praxis, right behavior. And I joined the missional movement, right? Did anybody else here do that? Or you're like, I want in on this thing. And, and, and I, find, I found a lot of life. There was a lot of fruit there for me. But as I press into not just my belief and not just, and, and press into the missional side of things, over the course of many years, I started to realize, wait a second, there's still something off in me. There's something not right here. There's something about this experience that is, isn't appropriate. No matter what I did for the kingdom or what I understood about the king and his kingdom, I was still absent in something. And then I'm sitting in the panhandle of Idaho on the top of Schweitzer Mountain having a um, a mystical experience. And I found myself being drawn to this idea of not what I believe in and not what I'm doing, but of who am I becoming. And, I, and a lot of us here are probably already there, right? And this idea of becoming like Christ, like not just believing in him, not just doing the things he did, but becoming like him began to draw, began to resonate. And I started uh, going to the monasteries, and I started listening to all sorts of pastors and leaders and trying to just learn, what does this mean, looking at the Desert Fathers and so on, and, I, and I'm just, I'm so enthralled with this uh, picture that Paul has where he says, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Well, it must, that must be possible for us, that we might become like Christ in such a way that we, we lose the part of ourselves that's, that, 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 that's unhealthy and that's inappropriate and, and, and all that, and, and press into this new reality. But then I found myself again at this place of disappointment, wrestling in the dark night, if you will. And I didn't know where to go because I'd exhausted all the pastors. I'd exa exhausted all the professors in stage one. I'd exhausted all the pastors in stage two. And I'd exhausted all the monks in stage three. And then it dawned on me. I spent a lot of time with everybody but Jesus. The goal of spiritual formation and the problem with this language, it's not about formation. That's, that's a trick. 
The goal is a relationship with Jesus. The goal is greater intimacy with Christ. And, and I'm not disagreeing with Paul when he says, let's, be, let's become like Christ. I'm affirming that, but I'm just saying further. The intimacy with Jesus. And, and, and the strange part is it's really back to the beginning. It's like a great migration where we've taken off and we've gone only to return to where we began, but somehow it's all different now. Because transformation is taking place as we've moved through this stages of formation, if you will. And so at the heart of spiritual formation, and I hope at the heart of what we are doing, is relationship with Jesus. I say that because it's in that context that I believe fulfillment and all of the stuff that Scripture speaks to comes to life. That In one sense, what I'm saying, but I'm going to say it in, in a different way, is we need to be better evangelicals. And what I mean by that is we, the Word needs to become flesh. It needs to find life. And, and that life is in the activity with God. And, and last I checked, all of Scripture is really this beautiful record of God's experience with humanity throughout 1,500, 1,600-year period. And we could argue exacts, right? And, and, and if that's so, and what it's pointing to is this life with God, this experiential life with Jesus, then let's get to it. And let's allow this to be married to everything else we're doing. Most of us are doing this to some degree. Um, we, we all want to affirm experience, but we're all cautious of it too, right? Because it's like, well, your experience is, needs to be appropriately lined up with Scripture. Well, but if we're honest, most of us are taking our experiences and then finding Scripture to affirm it. And it's like, so, so if that's what's really happening, how do we sort of step back into this relationship where we have this beautiful gift of grace to us, this word of God has given us a grounded place to, to help us steer, if you will, and, and bring in our, this experience as well. And what I would simply suggest is that we need a, a wider set of principles and disciplines for our church to engage in. Most of us have worked really hard at what we would call controlled practices. These are practices of study, analyzing, critiquing, um, um, exegesis, etc., teaching, Greek form teaching where it's like just like I'm doing now and you guys are listening. And like those kind of practices are controlled. And when we approach the scriptures that way, whether we mean for it to be this way or not, we're taking a position of authority because we're going to figure out what it says. But what if we were to reverse it and say, well, how can we allow Scripture to really have the authority? Which I know that we all believe that in our in our pressing for that. But can we? Is there uncontrolled practices that can help us in this as well? And I think there are. And the reason I want to affirm this is because Jesus affirms it over and over again. And in our our life is a, is all, all all of life is underneath underneath the reign of Jesus. So not just the left side of our brain, but the right side of our brain needs the attention too. So here's what I mean. We practice at Axiom the spiritual discipline of imagination. Okay? Now, I, we also practice the discipline of study, where it's a very rigorous 
process for discerning and understanding the scriptures. But then we also have a reflective side or an imaginative side. And we use the practices of Lexia Divina, Visio Divina, all these ancient practices that have been around forever that are helpful. They're not the solution. They're not the king. They're just helpful resources to help us experience a more holistic relationship with the word itself and to allow the word to get off the pages and become life. And, and we found that you can't exclude study. You can never exclude study. And in the same way, you can never exclude contemplative reading either. We need both. Both of them are necessary for us to experience the life that this speaks of. And thirdly, uh, we've, this idea of relationship with Jesus is a term, term we like to use is relational capacity. And this is a, a tool. This is a term we use with the pastors in our church to help them discern the journey with others and to help them integrate into a deeper relational sphere with Jesus. So, for example, my wife and I have a relational capacity, and that relational capacity is defined by the space between us. My relationship is not her, and it's not me. It's the things we share between us. Does that make sense? That's our capacity. And the things we have in there that, that aid in our relationship, we have great conversational life, but we can also be silent, and we, we have the freedom to, to have touch and feel. We have the opportunity. We can almost mind read at times. It's kind of cool. After a long time, you start to know how to do that. That's All of that's we share kids. All of that's within our relational capacity. But the challenge is when we think of God in our study language, usually what we're saying is, well, here's me and here's God. But God, it doesn't really matter if he's facing me or not. I'm looking at him and I, I'm getting to see who he is. So the space between us is irrelevant. All that's important is what I see about God. And that's okay as the first half. But then on the contemplative side, and this is where they go wrong, they say, okay, well, what does God see in me? And God's over here looking at me, and I'm trying to discern this. But what we're missing again is th th that a relationship faces one another. And it's the space between us that is most significant. And so when I meet with somebody in my church, I say, tell me about Jesus. Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. It's amazing how difficult that question is for people to respond to. Uh, uh, most of them want to talk about the relationship with the, the scriptures or their faith story. But not, to put language to, tell me about, when was the last time you and him laughed together? When was the last time that you, you, you spent time at his feet worshiping him? And what was that like? How was he responding to you? Tell me about the engagement of your relationship. Because a relationship would be one that is actually relational, I would hope. And, and they, we just don't know how to do it. I said, okay, back up. When you think of Jesus, what's a name or an identity that you give to him? And here are the five that I get the most. People, a lot of people will say, well, Jesus is Lord. Some will say he's Savior. Some will say he's Messiah. Some will say he's friend. And some will say he's like, he's like my rabbi. And some will say he's my homeboy. But they're just doing that to upset me. But what that tells me is everything I need to know about the relational capacity with Jesus. Because the only capacity that they've been able to experience with Jesus is him as Lord. They haven't yet learned that Jesus actually gives us a plurality of ways of revealing himself, that Jesus is also Messiah, and we can relate to him as Messiah. Jesus is also king, right, which is similar to Lord, but we can relate to him as king. Jesus also talks about a friendship, and so you can relate to him as a friend. And so we're creating all sorts of relational capacity to begin to experience the dynamic of 
intimacy. And I, I cheerlead this with our church because Jesus, at the end of his life between the table and the cross, he gets, he gets to this point and he says, listen, eternal life, let me tell you guys what eternal life is. He says it's intimacy with God. John 17, verse 3. That's it. That's eternal life. It's to know God. And by know, we don't just mean study, information, and we don't just mean experience without information. We mean know God, the stuff between. It's what we've learned about him, and it's what we've experienced in him being affirmed in one another. And that is, or it's all that you have with you is what you and Jesus have formed together. What this, you share with Jesus is all you're going to take with you. I'm not sure what else is going to go. And so a lot of followers of Jesus think they're going to go to heaven and go through some kind of car wash and end up on the other side with everything. And I'm confused by that. Jesus cares too much about developing a qualitative relationship with you to not help you in that way along the way. And so our relationship is eternal, and it's always growing. There's more to explore here. There's more to go on. We've never arrived and, and there's no amount of theology that we can never stop studying for this reason, but we can never stop playing for this reason either. And so, so both of these practices of controlled and uncontrolled ultimately are helping us experience the life that the scriptures themselves are speaking to. I could go on, but I'm going to stop because of our time. What, what are you guys hearing? I want to turn it back to the table. And, and together, I want to encourage you, just take a minute together to talk about what are you hearing? And it's okay to say, you know, I heard a few things that made me a little uncomfortable, and, and I'm just going to put it out there. Please, please do that. Um, or, hey, this was, there's something here, and I'm, you know, talk about together. Trust one another with this conversation and, and explore with Jesus. He's, he's at the table seated with you. You've all saved a seat for him, so that's good. All right, take a few, and I'll, I'll bring us back together given me a chance to just share some of my journey with Jesus, and um, and I hope that it's cultivated some good fellowship for you guys, and, and in that fellowship, more importantly, I hope that you're experiencing Christ himself. Um, one of the things, when we, I'm talking about relational capacity that um, I wanted to mention, this idea is Jesus brings to us the gospel of the kingdom, Right? And if you really think about what the kingdom is, the kingdom is, um, really, I'm going to use crude language now, the kingdom is a room for us to experience God in. It's a place that he's established that we might experience him more fully in. We can live in a, we can go in a different room. We, you know, I'm using, again, crude language, but the illustration, the point is that the kingdom of God is established for the purposes of us to, st we're urged to get into it to get into a place where we're free to experience God fully. And, and the way into the kingdom, of course, is this way of obedience, right? We know this. It's the way to friendship with God, too, right? We read that in scriptures. And, and our churches can get tripped up on this idea, right? Like obedience and the kingdom and obedience. And it's like, I think we have to help them see that in any good relationship, it's just the laws of relationship, guidelines are placed there for the flourishing of it. And so the kingdom guidelines, the commands that he asks you to observe, the great commandment, teach them to observe everything I've taught you, all of those commands and teachings are meant to create a flourishing relationship. 
So it just turns out that like the pool, the fence around my pools uh, is is intended to keep my kids alive. Now one day I hope to take the fence down because they will have become the kind of person who's capable of swimming in the water without my, you know, every little argument with them. And so too with God, as we press into the kingdom, we find ourselves where it's like the, the, the rules are still there. We're just intuitively living by them, right? The fence is still there. It's just invisible to us because because we know how to walk and experience the fullness of the kingdom. And, and so, so um, I want to close on that, but I want to give you guys a chance to, if you have questions or just comments to each other, more importantly, uh, let's take a few minutes to share together. We're not out of time yet, are we? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and again, ima- imagination is just an easy word to grab. It's a word I use sometimes with our church as a, as a starting point. What, what I want to believe is that God is in, has given us an imagination. If he's created imagination, then there's a healthy destination for it, right? Because we have one, and he gave it to us. So it must have purposes, and part of its purposes are to glorify God. Now, we use our imagination all day long to help us get around in the world and to help us to understand things. And so what does it look like to submit our imaginations to the scriptures and to God and to allow the scriptures to illuminate our, our narrative and our deep narratives, really, that are, that are taking place through our imagination? And this comes up in, like, sleep study even, right? Like, our imagination runs wild in our dreams, and people that are into sleep studies would tell you, well, your dreams are just your, you know, your, your true self trying to, like, tell you something, right? And, and so we need to begin to submit not just our, our critical thinking, but our, our thinking that's gone wild, if you will, that we have less control of, and say, what does that look like to be brought under the rule of Jesus? Um, so I guess if I were to say anything else on that, it's just that... The whole mind is the domain of Christ, ultimately, and our thoughts and feelings are there too. And so, again, like, do we ever have teachings in our churches on on how to feel and how to think? We certainly talk about how to think, but what about how to feel, right? And 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 what are feelings in the kingdom? Do we have feelings ultimately in the kingdom? And and what happens to our imaginations, right? Right? And 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 so. Well, we need to get into all of it. I talk about with our church this idea of purification of desire because our desire, the transformation is the purification of desire. And what I mean by that is everybody has desires. Now, you might not like your desires, but your desires never lie. Have you noticed that? They are always honest with you. Whether you like it or not, that desire is in you. And so if we can start by way of our imagination, which is where, where our desires go out of control, and say, okay, so where are your desires taking you in your brain, in your mind? We can get a picture of the road back, if you will, to expiation, to cleansing, and to the renovation of our mind. And so, so desires has been a really helpful space for us to begin with training our church to submit their mind to Christ and to say, okay, that's... God only works with honesty because that's a rule of the kingdom, right? Like, there's not going to be anything in the kingdom that's just not true. It's just not part of its nature. And so every time you're honest, even if what you're honest about is kind of scary, we can work with that because God can, God can access that. He can, he can get into that. And so that was a rough response, I think.
So one example, one thing that I like to do that's very helpful for me, and there's a few different exercises you can, you can of course, use. But in my own study, I want to start with study because it's what I know, it's what I was trained in. I get that. And I've also found that help, the reason we sort of naturally start there anyways is probably for a reason, okay? It's not just that that's what we've been taught. It's that, that God has created us to, to ground ourselves, right? And so, so I start there. Um, and, and, and then I want to say, okay, now that I have a good understanding of the scriptures, if you will, if we're just going to talk specifically about scripture for a minute. Okay, so now I want to um, allow Christ, and I'll, and I'll pause, and I'll ask Jesus to, to now speak, say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through this slowly. I'm going to take verse by verse, and I might spend a couple months on two or three verses. That's it. And the goal is that, Lord, I believe that this, these verses, these words of yours, are, have substantive and that they speak to my entire life. And if that's so, help me to move them beyond just what I think about what it says into my imagination. So, okay, now, Jesus, me and you, help me to picture what does this truth that you've given to me look like? in my relationships that I have with other people. And I'm going to spend a good amount of time just listening and journaling. And, okay, how, why does this word continue to come up for me? Why do I continue to be resonating with this sense? Where is that resonating coming from? What, what's the cause of that? Is that you, Christ? Or is that something else? And I'm going to sit with it. And then I have a mentor in my life who I then submit this to because I really do believe that I have the capacity to fool myself. <laughs> Say, can you help me sort through my process with Jesus and help me see, does this sound like Jesus? Does this sound consistent with what you read in scriptures? And I really believe that a relational approach to my own study uh, helps me get into my imagination in it. So that's maybe one example. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, yes, um, meditation is often used in that form, um, and uh, maybe the way I would talk about it is we all are already doing that whether we've been told to do it or not. How many of you worry? Every time you worry, you're thinking about a future thing that doesn't exist yet, and you're meditating on that future thing. Well, m biblical meditation is the same as worrying, except for you're not worried. You're fixated on the true thing, the good thing that's from above, right? And, and you are imagining that because that's what God's given you to help you see what, what can be and what is in his reality. So when he says, blessed is the poor in spirit, well, my, my reality disagrees with that. But my, as I submit my imagination to him, I can begin to see that, oh no, in the kingdom of God, this is true. It really is better to give than to receive. And my imagination helps me to understand that. And that's why I think Jesus is constantly talking in parables and speaking, pointing to the birds and doing all the things he's doing because he's employing your imagination to help you understand the reality that we're designed to actually live in um, and helping us to break bonds with the reality that we form that's really a falsehood. It's, it's, it's not even real. It's, yeah. Uh, I think uh, 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 min there are many hurdles, um, sin, 
uh, and, and many hurdles. Uh, I think one of the biggest challenges is just our grid that we've been sort of trained up in, if you will, hasn't really entertained that space as much as it's entertained the idea of the space. And so everybody agrees that I have a relationship with Jesus, just nobody knows what's happening in their relationship with Jesus. And so if we can just help them make that subtle shift to say, you're in it right now. You, you and God are experiencing one another today. And he is invested in your life today. And you can keep talking about his investment in Moses' life and Peter's life and Paul's life. And those are great indicators, right? But tell me about what's happening between you and God. And we need to become the kind of guides who can help them interpret and understand with Scripture their experiences with God. That's part of our role. Um, it's not to tell them what their experience is or should be. It's to help them discern what their experience actually is in light of what Scripture has informed us that it can look like. So when I somebody comes to me and they're like, I just... I'm unsatisfied with life, and I'm disappointed, and I don't feel God anywhere. I say, okay, well, maybe you have a relationship with him? Yeah, so let's go to Psalm 23 together. Are you able to sit in pastures and buy still waters, or do you have to drink the water and eat the grass and do all this and that? Which, where are you in this, in, using my imagination, where are you in this story? Well, I'm not sitting still at all. Well, so is your shepherd not sufficient for you does he not has he has the shepherd not provided you all that you need as david puts it oh so the hurdle is actually their view of god it's that god isn't actually the kind of shepherd that's going to help me live without lack you know but we know as guides we're going to say no you have all that you need in god god is the good shepherd and you can even know his voice and here's what he looks like. And Jesus is the easy place to point to then, right? So, yeah. I want Let's spend some time praying together. We've got a few minutes left. And so I, w I just want to invite us at our tables to just lift Christ up, lift one another up, and to pray for our city. And so let's do that together just as we would um, on our own.